So we were talking a couple minutes ago. You you had surgery three and a half about three three and a half months ago. Yeah, I believe it's it's harder to calculate the actual weeks, I guess. But it was November seventeenth. So we're um, you know roughly it's like three months, but um, according to weeks, with it what they log it by, it's more like the you know the three and a half month mark, I guess. Fifteen, like uh, thir- fourteen weeks, fifteen weeks, somewhere in there. Yeah, I forget the restrictions. I just do what they tell me to, and <laughs> my doctor luckily gave me a little bit of leeway this last one. She kind of pulled off the restrictions a little early, but it's the coffee cup is all you can lift for the first month. And then a couple weeks after that, you can lift five pounds and then 10 pounds. Now I'm finally free of restrictions and I'm actually feeling like a normal human again. So what was, is it your right shoulder or left shoulder? Left shoulder. Left shoulder, rotator cuff and labrum, or was it just mainly labrum? It was mainly labrum, but they, yeah, they put the anchors into the rotator cuff, uh, mainly to fill the gap in the end of the humerus though, that, uh, cause it dents the bone when the shoulder comes out and then hits the side of the clavicular, I guess it'd be, or maybe just the socket, but it's a uh, seven anchors. I think it is. What, what'd you do? It was just coming out a ton. So I is, this is like the weird anatomy of the body. I had a separated SC joint, which is where your collarbone attaches to your sternum. Super uncommon because normally people tear their AC maybe or break a collarbone. And I really wish I would have broke collarbone because the, it separated the SC and it was popping out. It's super weird feeling. Um, but I was able to ride on it and then it, uh, it became hypomobile, which is like too stiff. So then it caused all this like instability in the other part of the shoulder because it wasn't moving like it was supposed to. So the, then it whittled away my labrum. So I never had shoulder problems my whole life and I, and it didn't come from like an injury to the labrum. It just came from the sternum essentially. And then along, then it just, then I had surgery to fix it. And then it got worse and worse and worse and started popping out. And then eventually now, now I have, cause the other one was just a cleanup. Now it's like, should be good to go. Now this is like an actual changing of the anatomy, you know, not just like a cleanup that I shouldn't have had anyway. So you're saying that there were, you, you had some issues with your sternum, which is in the center of your chest. And was it like overprotecting that injury with your shoulder and maybe gripping that your, your labrum started to just like what you said, whittle away? I guess it's, uh, yeah, I guess it just becomes too stiff. Like the scar tissue got in there and, and you wouldn't really notice that as a joint, but if you feel like your collarbone move around your shoulders, you can feel it like kind of pivoting. But mine, after I injured it, it, and it was healing, it just like the scar tissue just bounded up. So then that wasn't moving. So it's like taking a, like blocking out one of your linkages on your truck or something. The other one's going to get messed up, you know? That's crazy though, because most, if you look at your lifestyle and what you do for a living, you would automatically assume that you, you crashed and you, you <laughs> tore your leg. And we have something in common. This is going to, this is kind of weird though. In, in talking about the labrum, I was like, well, I have something in common. Like I told you, I blew out my labrum my freshman year at UNLV playing baseball line drive hit to me in center field and I run at it straight towards the ball and I dive, you know, I was a lefty. So I die with my right arm straight out in front of me and I caught the ball. But when I caught it, my momentum kept carrying me over and the way I landed on my shoulder, I felt it just, and I mean, I'm screaming just like you were on that video and my head coach is out there and I'm grabbing him freaking like right in the chest and I'm just ripping all his chest out. And I'm just screaming like it hurts so freaking bad. But here's what we really have in common is that I had a, I had a surgery in 1992 mm-hmm. where they went into my chest, broke my sternum in half took out my xiphoid process. They, they took 49 inches of my rib cage out. Starting at the top, they took three inches off of each rib on each side. 
and then reconstructed my sternum with a plate and put my chest back together. I have a scar that goes all the way across right below my nipples. So I had, yeah. So that when you say sternum and labrum, I'm like, holy shit, dude, I had a sternum. I had that whole, that chest surgery back in my junior year of high school. And then, and then a few years later in like 97, 98, I had to go in and have my, my entire right shoulder reconstructed with screws and anchors like you're talking about. So that's weird to have that in common, ain't it? It it is. It's funny that it's just completely different areas and different, you know, sports. And I guess just the body gets exposed to different things, you know, but uh, it's not that uncommon, I guess, to to tear labrums. I mean, there's the office is filled. (laughs) Go to a shoulder specialist and... But, but there's nothing more aggravating than after the surgery and trying to live life with it, you know? Oh, God. It's, yeah, the debilitating factor is one of them. I mean, I'm sure that when you, when you got hurt, it was a uh, part of the pain is knowing that you're going to be out of your sport for a while or the time to recover, and you kind of instantly know. And the worst thing, like, I'd much rather break a bone in any day. Like, uh, I've only broken, I think, two bones in my whole life, but I've had. 14 surgeries and those are all ligament based, you know, or except for one was a rod in my leg, but that heals easy, heals quick and easy. But like when you tear a ligament, your body instantly knows and you're like, I'm fucked. Like like it, it's something, even if it doesn't hurt that bad, you're like sick to your stomach because you're like, I know something just tore or ripped and now I have six months off or, you know, it's going to cause another problem. Uh, I think that's the worst part for me is always like you can deal with the pain, but you know that you're in for six months of agony of being off your bike or being out of, you know, being out That's, of your I, I think that what, what's better though, for being a pro and maybe not, I don't know how it is. And you're, and we're going to get into what you do. Cause it's freaking amazing. Some of the things that you've accomplished, but let's take a pro baseball or pro football player. It's hard to hide an injury. When you go into a baseball game and you dive for a ball in the pros and you tear your labrum, those trainers are on it. And they're like, uh, no, we're paying you millions and millions of dollars. You're not going to take a chance. Yeah. We want you in the game, but we want you long-term. So you're in, you're in surgery, you're in rehab, you're in the best sports medicine and rehab and and physical therapy there is. When I did it, I tried to fake it forever and Mm -hmm. ever like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Before I actually went in for that MRI and x-ray set to get Oh yeah, your labrum's torn. You're going to be out for this long, and I'm sure you probably did it because you you were you were riding with the injury forever, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I I mean I put it off. I should have had it done last year because it started coming out, and uh, and I knew that you know it comes out once. It's it's how you know far more likely to come out twice. But then if it comes out twice, you're like ninety percent that it's going to come out a third time, and then it's easier and easier and easier. So I you know you know that you should, but there's um a lot of pressure on athletes, but there's also a lot of pressure you just put on yourself. And, and I mean, I've ridden with injuries my whole life. So I've had like five years in a row where I had knee surgeries and I would tear it, ride throughout the whole summer, ride, finish the season out and be kind of riding with a handicap, you know, and then get it fixed in the winter next year, tear the other knee and then ride with this ride for it all summer. And then uh, same thing back and forth, back and forth, five years. So I'm 10 years out of of my last knee surgery so i'm pretty dang fortunate like i was like dude if i could get if i could make it till i'm 30 without another knee surgery i'll be happy so knock on wood that i don't tear it again but my knees feel great are you 20 29 right now i'm 32 you're 32 now yeah yeah so i've 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 surpassed all those goals and i've have a longer career than i ever imagined that i would even as a kid you know like you don't really put a timeline on but i'm i'm i feel like i've surpassed all my goals and uh and i feel amazing. Like I've had people, even my dad, like I had people tell me, 
during my knee surgeries, you know, you, you, you're going to, you didn't want to take care of your body later on, you know, like you need, you should find another sport or you should find, you should be a filmer or something. You have a good eye for filming for mountain biking. You should, you shouldn't ride anymore. And I'm like, fuck you, man. And like, <laughs> this is, this is my life. You know, this is the, what my, like give up on your passion, your childhood dream and everything that you've hoped for and dreamt for and built for. And, uh, and it, it prevailed, you know, I had a, I had a couple people that were like, you'll be okay. You can do it. Mainly people that had already been through knee surgeries, but, uh, that was, that was a tough time, but, uh, I feel very fortunate to be sitting here and after the best things that I've done in my life and career and riding and family and all that have all came after that, you know? So do you attribute any of that to, um, working out the, you're, you're being, you know, physical as far as like cardio goes, weight training, core training, balance, trampolines. I, when I was talking to wise a couple days ago, he's you know, a freak. He's a freak. He looks like a freak. When you see him, you're like, dude, you look like a linebacker or at least a tight end, you know, 190 pounds walking around at six foot one and doing the things he does in the half pipe on the skis. But you to, to, to go into your thirties and to do what you're doing, just, just watching the jarring that it causes on your shoulders, your joints, your ligaments, your everything is is get you got to be in shape right you got like a motocross rider people go man he's just riding a motorcycle ride a motorcycle around a track freaking 20 times and tell me that you're not that you don't need to start working out so do you attribute your success in your long-term career cam with some working out was it what did you get in the gym absolutely i'm i have not been in the gym as diligently as weiss has been but now I, we have the same trainer for the last couple of years and weiss actually introduced me to him uh, Max and it's like super random. Weiss came into our office and then he's like, "Yeah, I just got done training." So and they're like right next door. So now like that's where I've been ever since. Um, just small world, especially a small town, Reno. But I'm a I feel far more fortunate to be with him now. And it's more necessary as you get a little older when you're younger. Like, kind of just comes down to managing injuries and it man and comes down to staying on the bike and that's the and cross training with motorcycles and things like that but like i've always looked up to the motocross racers and been inspired by them because they're the gnarliest athletes in the world hands down like all the cardio tests and all the the physical tests they do the only thing they say compares to it is like an iron man or soccer you know but Amazing. like when you when when you talk about like ricky carmichael the the cardio test that i've seen him do and in, in, in the 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 cardio training that he does I, I assume that ricky carmichael was one of the guys that you absolutely came up you guys are about the same age and he's probably considered the best of all time is he he's got to be in the top five of all time right oh he's he's the goat he's he he is the hands down everyone calls him the great of all time he has the most wins the most titles by far of motocross and he's second in titles for uh for supercross and he's a freak man he has two perfect seasons and uh he changed the game everyone ever i mean mcgrath was far more skill oriented and he was a you know ahead of his time for skill but then carmichael came in and worked harder and and trained harder and and took off the pounds and, and changed the game. Now everyone has to work super hard to even be able to handle the moto because they're running the same lap times after a 30-minute moto as they were at the first lap. Yeah, and that, but but what you're saying though is that Carmichael was in shape. I mean, he was a physical specimen as far as his lungs and his the way that he can control that bike because that bike's not light. What no. you do, what you do, you got to be in physical shape. But when I watch like Carmichael or Jeremy McGrath or a lot of the motocross guys from back in the day, Ricky Johnson or Jeff Ward on the Kawasaki back when I was coming up. 
um, being a motocross fan. I never got into, you know, being a big time CMC or AMA racer, but I was obsessed with what they could do on those bikes. And you're like, man, they're just riding a motorcycle. But to go lap after lap after lap, you got to be in the gym. Your core has to be strong. Your quads have to be in shape. Your lungs have to be in shape because it does take its toll on you, right? Absolutely. And the and the craziest thing about it all is if, like, say you get tired in the soccer field, you just slow down or stop. Mm-hmm. Like, motocross. You, or you get somebody that goes in for you. You get a sub, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in motocross. In motocross, you're 30 minutes in and, you know, peg deep ruts going over 60 foot jumps you, you're fucked like if you if you get too tired and you make a mistake you are you know, like you could kill yourself literally yeah it's not like the consequences are so high so the it's imperative for them to be in physical shape but then nowadays the talent pool is so deep that there two weekends ago the qualifying for supercross or i think was top 14 riders were within a second like that has it's never amazing. happened. No. Like back in, in Carmichael's day and in McGrath's day, like they were, you know, the gaps were bigger and there weren't yeah. as many dudes at the top. And now they're, you just got to outwork the next dude, but every, everyone's at that level playing for you now. But I, yeah, I've always, always looked up to him because it's, it's very well documented too. And it's, and it's something that I've, I've always been drawn to. And I love motorcycle riding. It's probably my favorite thing to do besides mountain biking or snowboarding. So you're, so what you're saying though, is like you use the word very well documented, the words very well documented because motocross is popular. As a kid, you're coming up, you, you hear about it. You watch it on TV, ESPN, the Ocho, or no, but you know, like the extreme sports motocross was, was one of the original extreme sports besides maybe bull riding, which is a freaking crazy ass sport too, if you think about it. But, and it's that, withstood the test of time too. Yeah. You know? But, it wasn't but a bad. you take the motor out of it, but your influence came with guys with motorbikes and motorcycles. And, 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 and I'm not saying that you didn't know about mountain bikers i'm not trying to sound ignorant but when i'm growing up there was no such thing as the red bull rampage there wasn't what you see this there wasn't even the technology in in mountain bikes to do what you guys are doing today there's been motocross racing for a long time was was somebody like evil knievel and the stunts that he pulled or what pastrana is doing today do you look at that as inspiration coming up as well or was it mainly just the guys that were racing and and and, and on the motorcycles I, I try to draw them from from all different resources because what like you said that it didn't exist in our kids like yeah what what i do now didn't exist at all like we i'd like to say that we had part in pioneering this this genre of the sport and cultivating it because i grew up uh first started racing at nine got a got a cheap mountain bike my dad started taking my brother and i to some races and i grew up i grew up looking up to sean palmer eric carter um and and some and kurt Voorhees and they're all racers because that's all there was. I wanted to be a professional mountain bike racer. That's all I wanted to do, and that's all I, I cared about. But I would go jump for fun, and I would go ride street and and go build dirt jumps, and because it was easier, it was more accessible, and it was fun, and build the schoolyard jumps and all that. But then I uh, I got I started to get really good at it, but there wasn't really like an outlet for it. There was some some kind of sideshow Bob videos and and things of that nature, but. By the time I was about 15, there started to actually be more legit events. And uh, and then I ended up getting my first real, like I started getting free bikes at like 16, but then I got my first legit contract and started making money when I was 17. And that was partly for racing and partly for free riding. And uh, So are you considered a pro at 17 now that you're getting a paycheck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six, like, I mean, even before then, because I was riding like in the pro class for the jumps, but racing 
staying junior so you can make the world's team and whatnot. But then it, my first pro race was 16 or 17. Like, um, but then in God, I like the first Crankworx ever was 2004 and I was immediately changed. Like the, the whole sport was changed after that was the first legit slope style. And that's still the biggest event now. Um, but that was, I mean, it's the biggest event that Whistler does. There's, there's 20,000 people on the hill and massive crowds and they just did it right. So I'm racing world cups at that point and national races. What do you mean in layman's terms? Talk to me about what does it mean? What are you doing? Is this flat track or is this on a trail? Is this downhill? What are you racing at 16, 17 years old in Whistler? What kind of track is it? The, the whole, the slope style is like a slope style snowboard course, like super similar, but, uh, wood features and, and dirt jumps and stuff. But then the racing is more like world cup downhill skiing. Like it's down a, down a trail four minutes long, usually, um, sprint out of the gate, but then it's more, uh, it's rocks and roots and berms and, you know, and, and, and super brutal, like a, a four minute sprint. Like you think you're riding downhill. It's not going to like, same with motocross. You think it's not going to be that big of a toll. Like a four minute downhill run is one of the most exhausting things you could ever do. And it's, uh, and it's hard. It's it t- like the dudes that are winning world cups train, like Aaron Gwynn, top us racer world multi-time world cup champ he trained he started to do well because he trained like a motocrosser he came from motocross and now he's kind of changing the game because he's elevating the sport everyone's they train like olympians you know they can it's for a four minute downhill race run um but it's a it's a brutal sport man it's i i always had a hard time with coming out of the gate and being perfect because uh, you have to, it comes down to the hundredth of a second, something like, like 10th of a second can be first and second, or you're down like two seconds and then you're dropping 10 places. So I always, I always had a really hard time being perfect out of the gate. And then I just decided to, I don't know, put more eggs in the basket of, of the free ride stuff, because then it was, it, I could see it was growing and it was something that kind of, I, I could identify with more, I guess I was just better at it. So like when I was 20, I got like top 50 at a world cup, which was my best finish to date that. And then I won the biggest slope style contest in Crankwork. So I'm like, clearly I'm better at this. And that was kind of the, the end of, then I just quit racing after that. But that was, uh, my, what I did as a childhood, but then the kind of my dream changed because the sport changed and there was this whole new outlet and then rampage was there and, and, and slope style. And it was a pretty cool time, but it was, that was a definitive year in like, all right, clearly racing it. I'm way better at this than racing. So when he says Rampage, everybody that's listening, you need to go onto YouTube and just type in David Wise, Red Bull Rampage. You can watch other riders do it. But just look at the track and look what he's doing. Is So describe, um, I, mean, I want you to compare it to GS or Slalom or the racing you were previously doing, but what's, what, what is the the track style for Rampage? It's like being on a ski mountain with rock cliffs and everything with no snow. Is that a good way to describe it? Or how, how would you describe a Rampage track? That's a decent representation. I, for some reason, everyone always thinks it's in Moab, but it, so it's it takes place in Virgin, Utah, which is right next to St. George and, and Hurricane, and it's it's like red dirt. I'm you know people people have been uh, able to see it and be privy to these videos being so promoted, but in the past, it's it was always trials riding. Like people are like, Oh, you ride mountain bikes. I ride trials. But nowadays I actually get frequently asked, like say on an airplane, you're sitting next to some older lady and she's like, Oh, that crazy stuff in Utah. So people have probably seen it. 
Um, and, it, and that's probably, probably the most promoted genre of our sport, but it's red dirt cliffs of Utah, high, you know, developed by erosion from the old Colorado river or whatever. And you start, start at the top and at the bottom, go anywhere in between. You have nine days to dig you, uh, you, there's essentially boundary lines, but if you really had a line that would work and you could still end up at the finish, they'd kind of amend it. So you start at A, end at B, you have nine days to dig the craziest line, your representation of how you want to ride, what you think the sport should be, what, you know, f complete freedom. Like you can, I always, I always liked it because it's, you're not pigeonholed by whatever a course builder wants to build for you. You can build, you can go as big as you want. You could build a 200 foot jump there if you want. You're you, building it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the beauty of it. They, they now give us a little bit of money essentially for our diggers because you have, you were limited. You used to be able to bring whoever you wanted and then people took advantage of it and then started bringing like rock saws. So then there's like checks and balances along the way. But now the rules are you get each rider can have two diggers and shovels and picks and you get 30 sandbags um that are biodegradable but that's it like, and nine days to build your track yeah and you you can that's do cool. yeah and 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 it's like this last year was a new site so you were forced to like you couldn't possibly build a legit line top to bottom with just you and your two crew so you're forced to have some camaraderie and work with your competitors you know and like pair up on on a certain feature and then branch off and do your own thing and then pair up with someone else on another one. But it's, uh, it's, it's unlike anything else, man. It's like a true, like brothers in arms and everyone, no one really knows what you're going through except for the people that are, you know, they're riding it with you. And it's a, it's a pretty special time of year. And the, the only event I really care about anymore. I mean, I'm, I do other events, but that's the one that I'll do for, you know, as long as I'm, I'm how playing. long has it been going? You, you won it in, in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So is that like one of the inaugural years of the Red Bull Rampage? First year is 01. 01. So it already been around nine, nine years. What, what was the kinda, first year you kinda, competed in it? So they, the first year was 01. I was 15, I believe it would be. And then 02, I, I tried to get in the first two years and well, actually the first year, I didn't even know what it was until it was happening. Second year, I tried to get in, couldn't. Third year, I had a little bit more of a name and got in and then didn't make finals, but um, made a good name for myself and got invited back. And then 04, I made finals and crashed, but I had a run that probably would have won. So people could tell uh, what I was doing and kind of what my potential was, I guess. And then they took a four-year hiatus. Red Bull is kind of weird with their events because they want to keep them hot and they want to, like, you know, build something cool and then not try to let it linger. But the, the demand for this event and then the, the publicity and press came out of it was, was monumental. So they brought it back in 08. And then that, at that point, then they started doing it biannually. So it was 08. So 01 to 04, then 08, 2010, 2012. And then since then they've done it every year. And the viewership is, is incredible. It's like more than supercross or motocross races. And, uh, yeah, pr proud to proud to be involved in it and have some. Uh, I've been on ESPN Sports Center top ten plays twice from from. Well, actually, one from Rampage, another one from another thing I did. But it's a uh, it's it's well respected, well documented. Again, like it's uh, and and well perceived. So, but you won it. 
like you come, you're, you're in 2010, which is what, eight years ago. Let's say you're, you're 20, you're 22 years old when this happens. No, you're about 23, 24 years 23, old, yeah. 23 years old. You win the 2010 Red Bull Rampage and you're also awarded something else. And I, and I'm trying to figure this out. You get best trick in 2010 for doing a 40 foot drop jump, 360 degree spin in the air. So you're going downhill and you jump off of a 40 foot cliff. You're just well, how, explain what a forty foot three sixty means. Well, that was that was still probably the gnarliest three sixty I've done. I mean, the now I've done ones that are a little bigger, but I've had the opportunity to build it ourselves and put a steeper landing on it. This one was like the Oakley sponsored the event, and they had their own like pre built feature, so it was take advantage of because you couldn't possibly build this drop in the in the time allotted that you have to build it so yeah like clearly i'm going to go off this because it's built for us but the landing was flat and the angles weren't quite right and it was i the first run i crashed and i was mildly concussed cracked my helmet and then uh but still got cleared by the medical team and then got a new borrowed a helmet from someone else and then was able to land at the second run and uh, also on that day, then I won the FMB World Tour. So the, the, that was the inaugural free ride World Tour. So uh, by landing that, I got I got the best trick, and then I got the Rampage Championship, and then I was also crowned World Champ that day. So wow, it was what a, a yeah, pr- pretty special day, especially because were you on the map already, or was that the day you you got on the map big time? Dude, that was a crazy time. I was definitely on the map, but that was right. That was the first year after my string of five knee surgeries. So that was, I had lost quite a few sponsors that year. I was paying my own travel to the events. Um, I was promised travel, but I didn't have a contract with them and they paid for travel to one event in France. But after that, then I was fronting all my travel. Um, I even, even at the beginning, I had just bought a house and then got dropped by my previous frame sponsor. They knew it. Um, didn't give me any sort of forewarning or anything, you know, and I'm like, because of the surgeries, they thought you were done. I guess. I mean, hmm. that was a bad time to drop you. Yeah. My stock's coming up, dude. But it was, it was, it, I'm, I'm definitely not going to say that that's the reason, you know, like the grit or where I cut my teeth was in those, you know, depths of those injuries. But it, it was just a crazy timing that I finally came through from and you know prevailed from the surgeries it wasn't it wasn't like man i'm down on my luck and i need to really put it together here it was i was that's what i was trying to do the last five years i just kept getting hurt so everything everything just lined up that year and and then the following year picked up a deal from monster and 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 another know another lucrative frame deal and this and that and then it uh every everything changed so then from that moment then i feel like the best things that i've done in my career have been came after that but the man it's it's just it's just why a, though we talked about i talked about this with a, a lot bit, of people but a little bit I, of luck I don't you know fa- I mean. but, but you're facing adversity like you're in like you're in this lifestyle to where you have to be it, it almost causes depression when an athlete gets hurt in the first place Absolutely. so when you get when you're pedaling with your legs and you can't bend your knees because of knee surgery and you have five of them and you you you're in this string and of five knee surgeries you come back in 2010, and in one day you win three medals, including the the Grand Prix, including the Rampage, and or not the World Cup, the Rampage, and the best trick. That's that's taking adversity and kicking it in the teeth and saying, "Dude, nothing can, nothing's going to stop me." That, that it, me, Wise and I talked about uh, when you're an athlete and you have that mental mindset of to 
you could very easily say, man, I, I'm done. My sponsors dropped me. I got to go to France for free, but I'm fronting all of these new, all of these competition, all my travel, all my lodging. I don't have a frame sponsor anymore. I have to have a frame to ride a bike. So now I'm on a frame that I'm either bought myself or that I'm supporting a company that's not paying me anymore. It's very easy to go, shit, man. But you go in there and then all of a sudden, now, now the world is in your, in the, in the palm of your hand because you didn't, you didn't bow out winning that day. It's not like you went in there and got a second and you, and you did okay. You went in there and kicked everybody's ass. To me, that's, to me, that's a different mindset to be able to even put yourself in that position to, to be a champion is one thing, but to be able to do it in three times in one day, you gotta, you, there's gotta be more than you're being humble about it right now, but you had to be like, this is, you gotta be kidding me, man. I'm, this is, this is my time. I, I agree, man. It's it's cool when things line up. They say the harder you work, the luckier you get. But this, I mean, there's there. It definitely it takes a little bit of luck with the injuries first and foremost. But the the other thing things that are in my control completely were it's all just for doing it for the right reason, man. It's just the passion that I have and the drive that I have is is not monetary based. Obviously, I need money to live, and I'm going to take as much as I can from sponsor. You know, try to maximize the potential, but. I'm not in it to make the money. If I would have been in it to make the money, I would have quit then. You know, that would have been, that would have been game where this isn't lucrative anymore. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm losing money here now, you know, but it's, it's a far bigger calling or, or, you know, necessity of my life or passion, you know, any way you want to slice it, it's, it's doing it for the right reason, I guess. And that's, and that is truly like my drive of, of trying, like hit my noggin, like people saying, Oh, I think you, <laughs> I think you should be out and like the blurry vision because, but then, but then the medical team cleared me. I'm like, sick, I'm going up. And then, uh, going after it again of a drop that like spinning a 360 off that drop like that when, I mean, the suspension wasn't as good as it is now. And, and it's, it's, it, it was a trip, man. Like, cause it's, it's borderline possible at that point. Like I, I didn't know, I um, wasn't a hundred percent sure that it was even cause the first time I landed pretty much perfect and then fell like I blew up. So then we changed the settings on my rear shock and then gave it another, gave it another whirl. And, and I like, you know, rode out of it like it, but it wasn't, it wasn't the prettiest landing, but it's, it's pretty cool to be on the forefront of those moments. I've been fortunate to have, quite a few of those moments where people and myself included were like, that's pretty much as far as you could go. Like that is, that is the limit. You're finding the limit right here. And, uh, and right now, I mean, that's the, that's the greatest feeling in the, in the world that you can't like, I've, no one could ever experience that. Like it's, it's something that I'm very fortunate enough to have experienced numerous times that are far greater than any sort of paycheck or, or award or anything like the feeling of riding out, from something like that of like throwing the money on the table and putting it all on black and then walking away, you know, it's like gambling, it's your childhood dream. There's so many things that go into it that just, you know, come to fruition as you're riding out and then you hear, you know, a couple thousand people cheering and it's uh, it's pretty special. It's badass. Yeah. And, and what's cool to think about, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but as opposed to other extreme sports, and I know that this is gonna be, this is gonna be a weird, analysis i guess but tell me if you if you think i'm on to something everybody everybody in this country let's just take the united states we all ride bike i mean you hear it all the time 
It's just like riding a bike. You probably get sick of hearing that because you're like, no, not the way I ride a bike. But you hear that all the time. It's just like riding a bike. Once you know how to do it, you never forget. We all grow up with the training wheels, the kickstand. Then we take our kickstand off. We had a Huffy. Then we moved to Schwinn. And then we moved up to Redline. And we had badass grips. And we had got to take our crotch pad off. And when our dad said, don't ever take that off, you're going to break your whatever. But I came up on a bike. I came up making homemade ramps. My buddy Drake White. And Phil wrote a song called Back to Free about a plywood ramp with two bricks. We all did it. Everybody in Florida to California to Maine to Seattle, Washington to the central part in North Dakota, South Dakota, we all grow up on bikes. We don't all grow up on skis. We don't all grow up on skateboards. We could get a skateboard, but skateboard wasn't prominent all over the country like bike riding has. So what you did is you took something that was at the hands of every let's say five-year-old, starting at four or five, at every one of our hands, boy or girl, we had the opportunity or the chance to do what you did, to take it from that little huffy bike at Kmart all the way up to what you did in 2010 and what you continue to do at 32 years, 32 years old. I'm looking at it like, holy shit. Like, not everybody gets to do what David does because we don't all ski. People in Florida and Fort Lauderdale might take a trip to Vail in Colorado one time a year or one time every five years and get on skis and break their ass, Right. But around here, kids are a little bit more prominent to go ski, right? Because we have it right in our backyard. But we don't, that's not all over the country. Bikes are everywhere. So what you did is you took something to, in my opinion, that is at our fingertips to where I could have done it. My brothers could have done it. My friends think about it that way. Like you, you took that bike and you turned it into a lucrative career and, and more importantly, memories and championships and titles that nobody will ever be able to take away. That's what's going through my head as you sit here and talk like, dude, he's on a freaking bike. Everybody's had the chance to be on a bike. Not everybody rides motorcycles, bro. Not everybody gets on a skateboard. Everybody gets on a bike. Yeah, I've, uh, I've heard that thrown around uh, more recently, actually. And it's, I think it's, it should have been promoted more. Or people need to just realize it's how simple that is, you know, like, but people are looking for, for different metrics and analytics for, for how to quantify what you could pay an athlete. And it's like, everyone rides a bike. And I actually are uh, the monster team manager from Canada who doesn't really manage me, but he's a friend. He said that he uh, called someone out in a meeting. He's like, who in this room hasn't ridden a bike, you know, or has never ridden a bike. And then someone raised their hand and was like, bullshit. He's like, and then got him to concede and then be like, oh, actually, you know, I have ridden a bike. just not like avidly and he's like yeah but you've ridden a bike everyone has so it's relatable especially for a company like monster you're not trying to sell bikes necessarily but you're selling an image of a bike and everyone can relate to it it's it's the the there's a good quote from one of the movies uh, life cycles it's it's man's noblest invention and 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 no matter what genre or how there's tons of different facets of bike riding but it's uh it's so true man like it's it's an honest noble you know accessory to the human body like it's a perfect compliment like and there's there's another one about you give a man is like the least efficient animal but then you give him a bike and he's the most efficient and you can you can go as far as you want people ride their bike around the world you can ride down a mountain you can do you can ride street you can ride on snow you could do anything the possibilities are endless and that's why i've always been drawn to mountain bikes more than just bmx because you can ride anything anywhere and you don't get bored and i'd I feel like I'd be burnt out if I was just a BMX rider. Or did even, you ever do BMX? Just kind of on the side, just for fun, because it was it was easier. Uh, I had you know a skate park closer to home, you know, than than the trails were, and you know, so I did it just kind of because it was fun, and it was uh, you know, 
a compliment and it helps helps build some fundamentals for mountain biking but i was always more into mountain biking but it's i mean i even think that like for for david weiss like i'd probably get bored of riding just pipe like i'd be that's like if if i had to ride just one genre of mountain biking i'd be i'd probably be bored and and i wouldn't be as into it or my buddy adam jones um he's one he's one x games for freestyle moto and he, he lives in reno as well but uh they ride pretty much one ramp they ride the 75 foot ramp and then a 45 but like almost all their tricks and everything that come off of the 75 foot ramp like i i don't know if i would be able to do that like i i, I love the the that there are no pigeon or there are no walls there's you're not pigeonholing the sport like you can do anything well, let's talk about that for a second because that w- watching what you do and what real what drew me to you is that the the rampage is awesome and learning about i want to get into it a little bit deeper but the 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 thing that you did and i want to make sure that i have my that i have my statistics right here my my details right but in the x games you bring it up in mammoth when they say mammoth mountain we're not far from there we're three hours right pretty much to the south of us. Mammoth is a California ski area south of where we're at, south of Tahoe a little bit, south uh, to the the southeast. You did a 100-foot, 3-inch jump on a mountain bike with... Now, now, hold on a second. 100 feet is a long freaking way. A football field is 100 times 3. 100 yards is 300 feet. So you jumped a third of a football field in the air is one thing, but you just decide to add in a backflip. So you backflip across the hundred foot gap, a hundred foot three inches to set the world record. Is it still hold? Yeah, it does. And, Jesus Christ, and, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's that was so. It's a couple of different levels of this because I had I had I flipped a sixty foot jump, sixty five or something foot jump. Um, God, what year is that? Oh eight or something, and then. I just really wanted to, I'm like triple digits. I think we could do hundred after flipping 60. I'm like, this is great. Like it's uh, it's, it's, it's weird when you, when you try to break it down. Cause it's not, it's not twice as hard as a 50 foot jump, you know, like it's, it's an ellipse. And if you, and if the angles are right, you can, you can, you can make it work just the way Danny way made it work with uh, the mega ramp. Now that's just, everyone's jumping 60 feet on skateboards, you know, but you would have never thought that was possible Crazy. until someone did it. But the, the angles are right. And the transitions are right. And they, and they made it happen. And I'm like, you know what? I think that you could flip 100 foot after just flipping 60. And then uh, I didn't really have the resources or the land or anything. And then after I got a monster, that was my my first thing that I pitched to him. Like, I, I want to do this flip. And then it took a few years. But then all of a sudden, it just, like, lined up real quick. Like, I thought it was going nowhere. And then out of the blue, Mammoth's on board because I started working with them as well. They've, they've been great to me as well. Um, so ESPN's in. They have World of X Games, which is partnered with Monster, and then we have Mammoth on board for to build it and host it, and Bob's your uncle, ready to go. And I got a, an Evil Knievel hour special live just for me, and that was the, the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life, because I don't, I don't get nervous when there's a crowd or for my run. I'm like, I'm, the game phase is on, I'm ready to do, do work, but for that one, there is a huge buildup to it, and... Granted, it's one of the most windiest places on earth. So the the day before the jump was uh, it, it, like we knew months in advance. You you have a fifteen minute window for the hour long special at this time. So like it was like so let's say it's seven p.m. The day before at seven p.m. howling wind, and then the day after the jump at seven p.m. 
howling wind, like impossible to jump a hundred feet on a bicycle. No questions asked, no fucking way. Like no matter what you did and how much you want to put your life on the line, it would be impossible to jump. That day for the live special is dead calm. Like the craziest bit of luck. And I mean, when you're doing that, there's no rider before you and there's no rider after. So like if you crash, it's not like, oh, onto the next rider, you know, or he gets a second run. It's a, an hour long special for just this guy to do this jump and you mess up, you look like a fucking dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 I've, I'll, so right now I'm actually planning, but anyway, yeah, so I did, did a hundred foot, three inch flip. The goal is a hundred. So it's pretty crazy that it ended up being on the nose down to three inches. And then that day I, in practice, I overshot it a little bit and did 120 feet. So I have, I got a hundred, the longest dirt to dirt straight air, which is 120 feet and the longest backflip hundred feet. Um, but the longest jump on a bicycle ever is like unofficial, but it's like 135 feet. Like, and I was ramp to ramp and they scooted it back. But at my property here in Reno, I have uh, the jump built and I've already flipped 110. So I've already broke my own record, but then my shoulders started coming out last year. So now I have uh, the jumps built, ready to go. Whenever the snow melts and my shoulders rehab, I'm going to start cracking at it again. But I didn't even put out the video or anything because I, that was just the stepping. So you have video of you doing 110 feet ramp to ramp. Uh, ramp to dirt, yeah. Ramp to dirt, and you broke your own record by nine just feet. Just for a cell phone nine video. Nine feet, nine inches. <laughs> yeah, just for, for a cell phone video. Just because uh, that was that was the stepping stone. I'm not trying. I wasn't trying to put it out there because I, I'm like, this is okay. Step step one. Now we're going. You know, move it back a little bit and do 125. So this this jump occurs during the year your shoulder keeps coming out. Yeah, and you yeah, still yeah, go and year. jump 110 feet in the air. And but it's can if you send that video in, does that will that count as a record, or does it they have to have like the Guinness Book record people there to document this? The, the Guinness people have to be there to document it. So when the time comes and I'm ready to do 150, I'll try to get them out. But it's um, it's like 20 grand or something. Month. You're gonna try to do 150 straight air. I'm gonna I'm gonna do 150 foot backflip is the goal. So Jesus my, my goal, dude, you're not you're not 23 <laughs> anymore, bro. This is this will probably be the last like. <laughs> Like I'm there, no way I'm done. There's no way that I'm like hanging up at anything, but this might be the last like record I'm trying to break, you know, but this is one that I think after I did a hundred, I'm like, that was so planned out and done so well. The, the jump was built perfectly and, and, and the, the necessary steps we took, you know, like a long process for this one jump. It was one of the safest things I've ever done. Like it was perfect like and it was kind of boring for people because it was so perfect and made it look easy you know but like the amount of the months that went into that and like the research and then and then just the practice and mindset of it it was like it was it was tough like but then when the time came down it was it was it was easy and it was perfect because of all the planning so on my own land doing it on my own time that's why i didn't want to put a date on or do another live special because it would have maybe put myself in a little bit of trouble especially with the shoulder so i'm trying to do it on my own timeline on my own land and keep make it as safe as the first one was but grant you know 50 foot further it's uh it'll be the longest jump on a bicycle ever and the longest flip and that'll probably be the last like record i'm trying to break you know so will you get both records or do you have to do each you it'll, have to do backflip and you have to do straight ramp. Well, it'll, it'll be, it'd be the, yeah, it'll be the longest jump ever on a bicycle and, and longest flip. Is it, is it ego that makes you want to do this? Is it something to where you're not satisfied? Because when I talk to someone like, let's take Chad Mendez in the UFC, for example, he says, man, when my wife goes to fight, she can't sit still. She's worried. She hates seeing me get hit. 
have, does it ever enter your mind the fear? Like you might have no fear. I mean, everybody gets a little scared, but to do what you do, you have that evil, that evil can evil mentality, that Travis Pastrana mentality. You guys are just wired different. You guys are literally screwed up in the head to put your body in the harm's way that you do. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but do you ever think about your wife, your dad, your mom, why they sit there and watch this this body flying through the air with nothing that's going to really stop you from huge injury. If you do happen to fall and hurt yourself, you're now you got kids in the mix. You mm-hmm. had kids in the mix. What? And, and, and I'm, I'm coming with this question cause I was talking with Tom yesterday and I'm like, what can I really, what can I talk with, with, with cam about, about me, the mentality of what you're doing? And maybe it's not about the mental approach of being a world-class athlete. That's already been done. That's out the door. You've done that. But now you have these loved ones that you provide for that would take a bullet for you. Your dad has to sit there and watch you do this from the time you're 16. Your wife, I don't know how long you guys have been dating and married, but she's been with you probably 10 years. She's been through it all, yeah. So does it ever cross your mind, like, look at the freaking grief I'm causing these? Because just me sitting here as your new friend, I'm sitting here going, dude, I don't even want to see you try this. It's got, is that, does that take its toll in your, pro, in your thinking process at all? It kind of does, but I want to... I want to show my kids what I enjoy out of life and what makes me tick. And the greatest, again, like I was talking about, like the greatest moments in my life are riding out from these things and, and overcoming the odds and, and putting it all on the line. And there's no way to replicate that. And I want to show my kids to go after your passion and, and it's worth taking risks and it's worth come, overcoming the adversity. Otherwise, it's a boring life isn't really worth living in the so first So if your place. kid comes to you one day, you're going to be like, go jump, go do it. After everything you've went through with it, you're going to say, no problem. I want you to follow in my footsteps. I'm not going to be scared for you. I want you to do it. I would. I would. I, I, That's awesome. I, I, my daughter, it's funny with my daughter, I always say we're going to get her into tennis and golf. Um, so with her, it's funny, just the mentality of having a a girl and a boy, but for my son, like, I don't know, I'd like him to race supercross. I'd like, I'd like, he, he's, uh, one of my, one of my friends actually said, he's like, Oh, you and Amanda. Cause she's, she's super fit and like genetically just a, you know, just got like no body fat and she's just a fit woman after two kids. But uh, he's like, you guys have supercross babies. And I was like, <laughs> and I never even thought about it. But then after I'm like, you know what? This kid's probably going to be pretty dialed. Like what is, what is a super like strong core, strong legs. You got to like a suit uh, riding a motorcycle. Again, I compare it to bull riding because that thing bounces you around and you got to be physically fit. So what makes a supercross baby? Did he tell you it's uh, or is that I, like the cream of the crop athletes in extreme sports? For, he means exactly for, for him and I, we have the same mentality and respect motocross and supercross so much that that's the that's the epitome of an athlete for sure is it really so like so like i want to get back to family but like what sean white has accomplished and i don't care about sean personally i don't know sean i'm just talking about his accomplishments and what david does on skis what sean does or what someone like what lego does scotty lego does on a snowboard you're you're in the game you're in the mix you're at the x games you're watching all of these different athletes motocross racers Maybe not the super jumpers, maybe not the long jumpers, maybe not the freestyle jumpers. Are you talking about the Ricky Carmichael's of the world going around that track, coming off of those gates, and it's 150 racers lined up, or however many it is in the finals? It's a lot. Maybe 150 is an exaggeration. You're telling me across this table right now, Cam, that those are the greatest, in your opinion, the greatest extreme athletes there are? 100%. Really? 100%. They're, wow, I would have never guessed that. If you, uh, if you, they, they, again, it's pretty, it's pretty well documented and they're doing all these little excerpts and, you know, 
like interludes for the for the, for the Supercross shows, but it shows a tiny bit. But the the real documentaries and stuff that do they're they're running 180 beats per minute for 30 minutes. Their heart their heart rate. Yeah, and then they're able to con to control a freaking 200 pound motorcycle going you know warp speed over ruts that are two foot deep that you can't even see on TV. Like they're it's it's gnarly. And then the physical aspect of it. I mean I've I, I respect it so much because the, the motocross racing that I've done, like, dude, we amateur race is usually like five laps and they're two minute laps and you're done. Like sketchy, like scared. Like if you're not fit for even those five laps, you're like risking, like really, really getting hurt or just like having to slow down and watch the other dudes lap you. Like it's gnarly. And they go 30 plus two in motocross and like it's uh and then do two of those, do two of those races per, per event. And it's uh yeah hands hands down no no questions asked the gnarliest athletes in the world and and again like if you're doing like an Ironman like the endurance and stuff like sure that's you know that that speaks in its own right and it's gnarly but you're prepared for that though yeah you're, and you're and you're not like if something goes wrong you just slow down yeah like barring the swimming you obviously got to make it to the end of the swimming but it's probably why they do it first but the, it's 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 insane I have the most respect for motocross racers and 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 I even more so after I did, you know, started doing some amateur, cause I never got a motorcycle until I could afford, my dad would never buy me one. Um, it's too dangerous. <laughs> well, what about, what about, what about the, 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 the motorcycle jumping? They, they can get going faster than a mountain bike can down oh, yeah. a ramp, I assume, because obviously there's a motor in there and this, the 250 CCs can get them going fast. Are they jumping a hundred feet on the, when they're doing these motorcycle backflips, are they clearing a hundred feet? Yeah. There's been a few people that have flipped over a hundred feet on a motorcycle. And the, and the biggest thing is you can get going faster, but you also gain speed on the lip, like the takeoff, you, you can actually gain speed on it. And that's where you usually give it extra gas as you're going up the takeoff. But on a bicycle, you lose speed on the lip. So you have to be going even fast. Like on a, so I've jumped the same ramp that I have built for my world record on a motorcycle. And you come in third gear and just blah, 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 and go 120 feet, you know, but on a bike, you got to go going 55 mile an hour. Like it's cause you're going to slow down to however much by the top of the ramp, but on a motorcycle, you can come in, you know, probably at 30 and then gas it on the lip. It's uh, it's, you're going 55 miles an hour on a mountain bike Yeah, coming and, down a ramp to jump off another ramp. Yeah. So the, the opportunity this, the, for air in this, to me, it seems like just that front tire wobbles a little bit. You're, you're flying over the handlebars and I don't know if it happens or not. I'm sure it does in practice all the time, but is the, it seems to me a motorcycle when you're coming down a ramp on a motorcycle, it seems to me like gravity and the weight of the bike and the, and, and, and the mechanics of the bike keep you safer than an actual mountain bike. A mountain bike just seems like it could get so wobbly and out it of does. check in a hurry. Right. It, it does. Absolutely. I mean, you have, not only do you have more gyro rotation and inertia in the wheels of a motorcycle, because the wheels are a lot heavier and tires are heavier and everything, but you have the inertia of the motor too that keeps you upright. And if you get over the front, you can give it gas and it'll bring the front end of the motorcycle up just by the gyro of the rear wheel. And then if you, you hit the rear brake, it can bring the front end down if you get too front end high. But on a bicycle, all you could really do is like you, you turn the wheel right and then it, and then it kind of pushes you to the left because the gyro of the front wheel wants to push you that way. So you can turn and adjust a little sideways, but you can't if you get over the front, which is the scariest thing, because there's no way to bring it back. There's no throttle, and you and you're you're might as well just kiss your ass goodbye. But the uh, all you can do is grab your rear brake. But if you grab the rear brake, you can't bring it back back up like a motorcycle. But 
it's it's noticeably squirrelier for sure because it's a 33 pound bike versus a 220 pound bike so now you I'm, I'm, I'm i went sideways there for a second but i'm still thinking about your wife mm-hmm She's a physical, she's a specimen. She's physically fit. She stays in shape. She cares about herself. She cares about your family. She's obviously you guys are in love. You want to be a good mentor for your kids. You want to show them you, anything's possible. You can achieve your dreams. That's all. That's a great mentality. I'm talking the fear factor though. Just the fear factor of it. Cam, have you ever sat down? Do they ever sit you down like in a in a uh, what's it called uh, when you intervention? Yeah, do they ever like bring you into a room and you're like, why, why, why is my grandma here? Why is my dad here? And they're like, Cam, we really have to talk to you. I, I know that I'm being extreme with that, but I, I, it just seems to me, and maybe I'm being a pansy. Maybe I am because I'm afraid to do a flip on a freaking soft swimming pool. But to do that, you're talking about jumping 150 feet in the air, half of a football field, and adding in a backflip with just a helmet on. There's nothing to protect you, dude, really. No, there's not. And, and yeah, you just you protect your head because that's, that's number one, you know, that's the most important. But yeah, if you, I mean, the scariest thing is if you, I've seen people do it, I've been fortunate enough to never do it, but if you pull back too hard on the lip and your butt hits the tire, it like sucks your butt into the tire because the wheel's spinning so fast and then you get to do a front flip. Like I've seen people try to do backflips on a, on a mountain bike and then the suspension sags and their butt hits the tire and then it just drags them in and then you then the rear wheel stops and it sends you forward. And so, so what like, happens then? Are you dead? You're, you're fucked. Are you <laughs> like, dead? Is it a broken neck? If you did that on a 150 foot jump, you could absolutely die. Like there's Okay, so that's my point. Yeah. But that's the, my point. So what at this time in your life at 32 years old, and you're sitting here telling me that in a couple weeks when your shoulder heals and the snow melts, which is funny, when the snow melts and I can jump, you're you're sitting here telling me you're gonna do another 150 foot jump. But it's not just one. When the Guinness people are there from the Guinness Book of World Records, you gotta practice. Oh yeah. And all of those practice runs, you're you're still in harm's way. All I'm simply asking is, is your family gonna step in and stop this jump? Or is that is the whole mentality of the zinc clan right now? He's in he's he you can't he's invincible. You can't you can't screw with this kid. She knows she knows that I'm not invincible and she we were watching free solo the other day. The one, the um, Alex, or is it Alex? I'm so bad with names, but the the baddest rock climber in the world. He'd free soloed El Capitan. You know, that was the most stressful thing I've ever watched because that is death. Like if you mess up on that, you are dead. There's no like I could die. Like you are 100% dead. So I think it's good to watch stuff like that because it puts it in perspective that what I do, there's a high likelier chance like higher higher probability that i'm gonna be successful and it will and it will work out and and again taking the necessary steps this isn't like some shot in the dark gonna just randomly jump this jump it's a there's a lot a huge process that goes into it to make it as safe as possible and uh my my wife though has been through it all she's she has the gnarliest job because i mean i've made her cry on national television numerous times like she's just she she's a, she was at the bottom of the rolling of this at the time was um, apparently the the big it was definitely the biggest step down flip ever done still um, it it was also at rampage I had um, just clipped an artery a couple like a week prior and then they wanted to do surgery and and open me up and not let me ride because I then I got an infection in um, it was like in my groin area but I clipped my femoral artery so then it pulled up all this blood. And then it got infected. So then I'm going to this event and she's nine months pregnant. 
<laughs> so we go out to Rampage, and we're, we're may, maybe she was gonna stay home, and I was gonna have a sat phone out there ready to you know get get on. The, actually, the the TV crew and the organizers were gonna be able to put me in a helicopter and fly me to Vegas to get on a plane to get home. But then in the end, we decided we went to the the OB, and they're like, you know, you're all right, you're not dilated, so you're probably gonna be able to go out and come back and have a baby after you come home. But it was it was a week before her due date, so. She has been through everything, like, and, uh, and, and she's, yeah, again, she's just. What does that do to your mind? But what about you personally? Does it stress you out that you put a human being through that agony? That's more stressful than me being stressed about, you know, like for sure. Like I don't, I, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's that much cooler to come back to her after, you know. Then, then I also see the videos of her jumping up and down and like seeing the weight lifted off well, her shoulders. Well, of course, too. because she's like, he's alive. Yeah. I don't even know if she knows you won. She yeah. just knows that you're that you're that you come out. And I, again, I, I don't want to put a negative context on it because you're a pro. You do this for a living. You are one of the best in the world of all time at what we're talking about here. You have the world record backflip jump. You have other world records. You have X game medals. You've won the Red Bull Rampage. You've placed in the top five numerous times. But it just seems to me like once kids are in the mix and, and I guess, I guess there, it's just the mindset because I, I, there was something that you did where you tricked some people where you think you did a backflip with a baby seat and you made everybody think like ET or babies in the back of this deal. Like when Michael Jackson hung his baby out over the balcony and the whole world freaked out, I see videos of Pastrana put his kids in shit. I'm like, are you freaking nuts? The stuff that his daughter's doing and his wife, it's just a different wiring system that's in your brain. He's cut from a different cloth though. Who Pastrana? He is, yeah, is he, he the best of all time in extreme sports? Uh, is I mean, he's done it all. I, I used oh, to yeah. think, well, you mentioned Sean Palmer 15, 30 minutes ago. Mini Shred was an absolute badass. He was a skier, a snowboarder, a skater. He got into car racing. He uh, Did he do motor? He was motocross for a long time, right? Oh, yeah. He's he's actually my neighbor. Well, I don't, so I don't live at my property, which is, is North Arena, but he's, the, he's my neighbor. He's my property neighbor. And I have jumps on starting on his land going to mine, but he was childhood idol, man. That is, he was... I had, I had collages of Palmer on my binders when I was in grade school. Like I, he was, he was the greatest ever. I did too, dude. It was him and Carrie, Terry Kidwell. And I'm not trying to tell, I'm dude, I'm serious. Like I never snowboarded in my life. I barely skated, but I loved Bones Brigade, and I loved Terry Kidwell, and I loved Team Burton, and I loved Good the Sim. Good methods, man. Remember when freaking Mini Shred made the Switchblade, the Sim Switchblade board, like world famous. Like I remember seeing my first Sim Switchblade board in real life. I'm like, oh my god, I got to have one. And now I have signed snowboards by like Scotty Lego and these other extreme athletes, and I'm like, I've never ever been on one, but I have the I have this weird sense of respect for extreme athletes. That's like. When I used to see the skateboarding is not a crime stickers, I really took that serious. Like, dude, these dudes are the baddest athletes I've ever been around, the shit that they're doing. And now you guys have taken it to these levels of where I, you never imagine this. I, I'm a 70s kid. You're an 80s baby. Grew up in the 90s. I grew up in the 80s. I would have never fathomed y'all would be doing the shit you're doing on bikes and motorcycles. Me, now. me neither, man. I remember looking at, like, clearing a a video game. I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the earlier motocross games. And I was like, this game is stupid. They're doing backflips on motorcycle, backflip supermans on a motorcycle. This game's so unrealistic, you know? And then sure, four years later, probably if, if that, then literally Carrie Hart and Mike Metzger are doing backflips and Pastrana's doing, then all of a sudden they're doing double backflips. And now he, he just did a 1080 on a motorcycle or a double backflip 360 on a motorcycle. Who did? Pastrana. 
a double. Is that back, the one in Vegas? No, no, he did. This one was actually two in airbag, but he's 60 feet in the air, like literally fourth gear pinned up a 25 foot ramp. So the same size of ramp, the same size as the quarter pipe on the mega ramp, fourth gear pinned and doing a double backflip 360 on a motorcycle. And he's, how old is Sean? 35 now, 36? But he's, he's, he's the epitome. But is also, also, his wife is a professional skateboarder. So, like, their kids are, you know, on another level from any other human to ever walk the face is of Is it just a matter of time, though, Zinc? Is it just a matter of time if you keep pushing it, if you keep trying to jump the Snake River, if you keep trying to jump the Grand Canyon, if you keep trying to do double backflips in the air at 60 feet in the air with fourth gear pin, full throttle, is it just a matter of time before something goes wrong? Or is the mindset like, I got this. It's got to be right. You got to be like, if, if, if there's an ultimate mindset in life, if you're, and I talked to wise about this, if you're a teacher or a janitor or a surgeon or a pilot, your mindset in life, when you put your feet on the ground and you go, I'm thankful to be alive again, your mindset and your approach in freaking life has to be, I got this. If it's not, then you're not living life right. Right. And I think that if you watch what you do and what Pastrana does and what these freaking crazy bastards do on a daily basis, your whole mindset is, I got this. It, it's got to be, right? That's all you that can be to, going yeah. through your mind, right? What else could it be? Maybe if I, I might get it, if I hit it right. You can't do that, dude. Mm-hmm. You can't just slam on the brakes at the top of that ramp and think everything's going to be okay. It's go time. Yeah, you need you need all systems go, and you need your, like, looking at your computer. Like, you, ha- you need all the other RAM freed up. Like, all of your cap- mental capacity needs to be devoted to one thing, and performing the task at hand, even thinking about the dangers that could result from it and not being present, inhibit that. And then it's like clogging up your computer with too many programs running. Like even like your self-preservation kicks in and it's saying you could die from this, you could get hurt. That can't, that will inhibit you from staying alive. Like it'll, the fear itself and the self-preservation will like actually ironically do more harm than it would good. So you need, you need to actually be a hundred percent focused and confident, like you said, because I mean, and you bring up Palm, he was, he, he had a good motocross career and he did, and he showed some really like flashes of brilliance, but he would line up with Ricky Carmichael. No way he was going to beat him, but he knew he was going to beat him and that you have to be like, and and if you, and if you don't beat him, what's that going to do? Is that going to hurt your feelings or something? No, you had, you put yourself in the best position possible and you knew lining up against the greatest of all time that you're going to win. Like you have to. And especially if you're doing something that's, that's dangerous and, and, uh, and you, and you put your life on the line, it's, and luckily it's for, you know, a shorter period. It's not four hours climbing El Capitan without a rope. It's like, Luckily, it's it's let's put all our eggs in this basket real quick of a twenty second run in and a and a jump and like all the prep. So there's there's certain things that you can't mess up on, and if you did, there's a big chance you're gonna get hurt. Small chance you're gonna die. Like that's that's pretty unlikely, but it's a it's a you you'll probably end up getting hurt. But is it is it worth it? Yeah, it's one hundred percent worth it. It's like you know the risks at hand, and there's something funny about it though. As soon as you accept what could happen as soon as you accept crashing, it becomes a little easier. You're like, you know what? I could crash. Like and that, that's, that's all there is to it, but I'm fully capable. I'm the best qualified for this in the world. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to go for it. And I know how to do it. And I've, I've put on all the, the due diligence. Let's, let's send it. And that's the, that's the greatest thing that I do. My favorite part of life. I mean, life changes and the, and the joy you get from kids and family and my wife are totally different, but the, 
So, but that doesn't make you want to be like, you know what? Eventually. Uh, I mean, eventually. You're 32 and that's young. That's so young. I mean, I'm 44 and I still feel, I still feel like there's so much life to live. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just can't get past the fear factor, I guess. I guess. This is life though. This is, this is, this is life for me though. It is. It's what you do. And in, 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 in kids or anything that comes now can't change that mentality. It's almost like. It's almost like you're, it, it, this is what I do. This is who I am. My kids are going to be proud of me. But I guess in life is that if you're a janitor and you take a lot of pride in your in cleaning uh, high school, you could get killed in, by a non on, on, a, on a car wreck on the way to work. As long as you live life with passion and love, like what you do, your family and your kids are going to grow up with this admiration of look what dad did, look what he accomplished. It just seems to me like. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Mason Lowe in the PBR, the bull rider that was killed in Denver a couple weeks ago. All these bull riders put these memorials out for him. You know, I love, thank you for my friend, rest in peace. I'll go ride one, for, go spur one up in heaven and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's awesome, right? He lived life to the fullest, but he's in his mid-20s and he's dead. Mm-hmm. He had a 2,000-pound bull end his life. These guys, the next night, opened the chute and rode again. And I just, my mindset is like, man, dude, it's got to take, but again, if you, if you break it down, Zinc of like, you can die doing what we're doing right now. We could get some this bulldozer that's doing work out here. might lose a, lose a chain or something and come over here and freaking smoke us. Right. I guess in life, your whole mindset has to be, look, it's go time. And this is what I do. If I'm a bull rider, yes, it took his life, but every day I drive a car and car wrecks take more lives than anything, right? I, I totally agree with you. And, and that's the that's a very frequently used analogy. And I yeah, I totally agree with it. And and the the bottom line is is being privileged and, and working so hard for, for some of these these things and the these feelings and experiences that I've had, that's it sets the bar for life pretty high, you know, like I'm, I'm sure when I'm done riding, I'll never be done riding, but done like pushing it. It'll, it'll take a piece of me, you know, and I'll, I'll be kind of a different person and I won't be quite as fulfilled or happy. And, but I'll have to find new outlets and, you know, new ways to interact with my kids or, you know, enjoy taking them riding it. And it'll have to something to fill the void, but it's kind of a irreplaceable part aspect of my life, you know, and, and it'll be, you know, it'll, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried because my, my wife said the same thing. Like when I'm, I'm not the same person after being hurt, not being able to ride. Um, but luckily later in life, I'll be able to at least ride, maybe not necessarily pushing it, but maybe I will, maybe I'll be just pushing it like to go faster in a corners or something, not necessarily big jumps, or something. but it's, uh, again, it's, it's an irreplaceable void to fill, but um, I'll figure it out. I think, and you talk about, you say the words figured it out. And I think where you're, what the track you're going down and what I consider a badass, the right track, a badass track is you've taken your passion and love for extreme sports and you've turned it into more than just having sponsors and having partners like that logo on your hat, that green M, which is so prevalent in, in the lifestyle that you have now. Who do you work with at Monster? Um, Sean Heimdale is my team manager. And then, uh, Cody Dresser is the, like, he's like the head action sports. He handles MMA and stuff too. And there's a, there's quite a few good people there. What's the guy's name that handles MMA? Uh, Cody Dresser. He's the, I believe he's the, the MMA guys as boss. So he handles all action sports, but he used to be a pro snowboarder. And he, he used was, to be a pro snowboarder. You probably remember the cover. He has a cover of Transworld, um, hitting like doing a method and hitting a snowman off the top of a, of a tree. But it, I remember seeing that office. I'm like, holy crap, I had that cover. But anyways, 
Uh, <laughs> See, I'm a, I, that 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 whole mentality though is that what you're talking about is um, they you, get it, you know, they get it, and you're taking that now and you're turning it into with this entrepreneurial spirit that you have of becoming uh, you you own businesses. You're you're the founder of Senses, which is a grip company, mm-hmm. and people hear grips. I mean, what's is there? Are they important? When I think of a grip, you're like, I remember back in the day when you get the knobbies and you would have these, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they would tear at the end and your handlebar would be sticking out. And But grips are important. Why, why are they important? And why was it important to you to, 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 to find a, a, a stream of revenue in the grip world? I feel like I've always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Like my dad was, I uh, owned a t-shirt business and he, and he owned a camera shop. So he was a, he was, he was a, an entrepreneur himself and and I always just looked up to it like that was the way. That's it. I don't. I'm not. I would more fall into the unemployable category. Like I, it, I'd be hard to have a boss, you know. And I, I, I need to do things my way. And I'd rather forge my own way. And even if it's harder, and you know, everything I've learned, I've learned the hard way. And that's, and it stuck with me more than anything anyone could ever tell me, you know, boneheaded or ignorant, whatever you want to call it. But that's. Just, I don't know if that's the right way, but that's just that's just the way that I operate. And and I would rather make make 10 grand a year doing my own thing than hundred grand a year working for someone else, you know, and, and trying to forge my own path and make my own business and, uh, grips were just something that was, it's really personal. And some people like, you don't care. Like there's a lot of good writers that don't really care about grips that much, but, uh, there's a lot of writers that do. And personally, I, I, it's, it's the most personal aspect of the bike and I don't ride with gloves and, uh, and I need good grips. I like, and the one, the, the first one I designed in 09, um, for census was, uh, is the grip I still run. I, st- I haven't changed in 10 years. I've, uh, it was my, my dream grip and I designed it myself and it wasn't going through some company and then it's subpar because they want to just push it out of production. And what, you know, it's like exactly what I wanted. And I, and I'm so proud of it, you know? So then I've, since then we've made numerous different grips and we're branching off into tailgate pads, you know, the, the pads that you put on the back of the truck and you, you see people hanging their bike over it, like as a bike rack. Um, that'll actually come out in like a month and it, I'd like to get you one actually, because it's, I'm trying to branch off from, cause they sell a lot of them, but they're all for bike riding. You put your bike over the tailgate. That's the only purpose, but ours has a, a seat back in it and, uh, it turns your tailgate into like a lounge chair or like a couch. So I'd like to get in the hunting community. I'd like to get it into people tailgating it at football games and Heck stuff. Yeah. Um, so trying to get something dialed for, for the market. Uh, in, in mountain bike specific, specifically free riding, but then branch out, you know, now that we have an established business and we're growing, we're trying to, trying to branch off into something that could be more commercialized and actually be lucrative and, and, uh, and, you know, off into different, different markets and sports and, and lifestyles. So it's, uh, it's been good. It's, it's always been growing. And it's always, and just last year we hired, uh, or I hired, uh, Ray, he's, uh, he run, he pretty much runs the show for me. But before then, it was always like a, a side project. And then my brother helped out, um, and he would ship packages and stuff and, the, and, and help out with stuff. But it was always like a sideshow gig, and it was just something that I didn't have time for because I'm writing for a living, you know? And, but it was kind of my backup plan, but also like a creative outlet and then something for to put myself through business school kind of, you know? And then since then, I've, I've had other businesses that I obtained from like the little bit of clout that I had of running my own business. So no matter what it, it taught me, it taught me a lot. And now, what do you mean by that? You've had doors open because you were, you had this entrepreneurial spirit. People saw your love and passion for life 
and you weren't chasing the dollar is what I get out of you. Just like you weren't chasing the medal or the win. And, and I wanted to talk about that of, of the correlation between winning and winning in life and winning a medal and being on the podium. And now you're sitting over here telling me that, Hey, doors open because people, I resonated with people, my love and my passion, my desire to be a champion, even though I wasn't always a champion, I always had that desire to like what you say. I love that word forge. I wanted to forge my way through. I wanted to find my own path. I wanted to be a pioneer. I wanted to be a trailblazer. In a lot of instances in your career and your livelihood, you were doing what you've done on a mountain bike. So now census is comes about, but not now that you're running this company and you're still a, 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 a name that's relevant in the, in the extreme sports world, all these opportunities present themselves. And now you're sitting there going, which ones do I say yes to? Which ones do I say no to? One of the first things you said when I met you was like, yeah, I got this opportunity in this business and I had to say no because of this, this, and this. And as an entrepreneur, isn't that fun? Isn't that uh, that ability to be able to take what your love and your passion and life for what you do? And now every day you get to wake up and make decisions. You have employees, your decisions and your passion for life. People are dependent on it now. You're winning and your livelihood and your revenue and your and the way you made it lucrative by winning and competing raised a family. And now you're getting to make decisions with that love and that, and that's, I love that freaking correlation. I hope that makes sense the way I'm explaining it, but that is what I was going at with David Wise. What I talk about with Lego is that champion out, that champion uh, outlook on life. How do I achieve in life? And if I'm never on the podium, if I'm never awarded the gold medal, how can I win other ways? I wanted to be a pro baseball player my whole life, bro. And now I hunt with George Brett. I'm a winner. I didn't ever get to hit a baseball. I've hit on a major league field, but I've never got to suit up as a professional ball player. You know why? Because I suck. <laughs> but I didn't give up on life. I just couldn't hit a freaking slider. And I couldn't steal bases. I thought I could, and I'd get freaking thrown out every time and lose the game. I was a mess. I was a circus. My freaking college coach called me the worst recruiting mistake he ever made. And I took that, and I built on it, dude. And now I have that same college coach, Fred Dallimore, come and speak at events for me and tell that story about how he told me in front of the whole team, you're the worst recruiting mistake I ever made. You've turned your love for life and passion into an entrepreneurial spirit, and that spirit resonates, bro. That's what I'm telling you is that if people get that, it's a spirit. You got to find it. You don't have to go every Sunday to find this type of spirit. I love religion. I love all that part of it, but I'm talking about a spirit that is within a person's soul that once you find it yourself, it resonates out. And now look at all these doors opening. Hopefully that makes sense with what I'm saying. I get pretty fired up about entrepreneurial spirit. A hundred percent, man. And it's, and, that, and that's the, the forging the path and, and living, living your best life and all these, you know, phrases and quotes that you come up, but it's uh, it's it's hard to sum up you, but you, you obviously get it the same way that I feel. That I mean, it's funny looking at that George Brett jersey. I didn't know that you actually go hunting with him. That's that's epic. That's perfect. That's what it's all about. That's making your best life that you possibly can and taking advantage of every opportunity that comes your way. And and I've uh, yeah, I I really really enjoy being able to. I guess it's using your unfair advantage and mine's pretty easy to depict that it's like it's mountain biking and like have it makes certain things a little easier for me you know for for getting my best friends who happen to be some of the best riders in the world to run my grips you know because I can't afford to pay them so we have the most badass team but it's because they respect me and I respect them and we're and we ride and and uh and and they're able to help promote the brand so it's 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 cool when things unfold your way and and you're able to to find your own path to to make make things easier and find your unfair advantage and and uh 
yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be in the position that I am and, and, and it'll be something that'll help fill that void, I guess. So when, when you talk about unfair advantage, do you also think that it was an unfair advantage that you had a dad that owned his own business? What t-shirt company did your dad own? Was it a, was it, was it? It was like a screen print embroidery business in, in Carson. It's called Mr. Roy's Productions. And, um, he got, he, he had a friend who started Kuka Components out of Carson as well that, they were, a, they were an international brand, smaller brand, but they made really cool cranks and brake levers and stuff for bikes. But he's the one that got my dad into mountain biking. And it's just finding those little things and, and running with them. Like we might have never gotten into mountain bikes if it weren't for that. But my dad saw that it was a cool opportunity. He was really like arthritic in his hips and he couldn't really run and play ball with us or anything. So he took that as an advantage to have a sport that we could do together. And he could ride bikes and we can go mountain biking together greatest activity for our family and it'll be the greatest activity for me and my kids I love taking the kids bike ride um to what level they ever want to take it i'm not going to push it but if they want to i'm there to support it but those those little things that just click and open up a door and open up another a, a whole another opportunity in life is uh you got to take it and, and run with it and put it and and recognize an opportunity when you see it and just and just go full force like i'm like i saw an opportunity to make some grips and 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 create a brand i've always been really infatuated with with brands and like cool like like a company ethos you know not just like trying to turn a profit and you know bottom line we just need to sell sell grips it's like creating something cool in a bigger picture is kind of the same way i ride a bike i guess you know it's not about making money it's not about this metal it's about like a bigger picture and like the passion and the and um just the core identity of it so Trying well, to try to try to try to run with every opportunity you possibly can, and just you know, even if it's just a glimpse of one, just run with it. As long as you understand the discipline it takes to say no, because mm-hmm. I'm older than you, and it's amazing how many are going to start presenting themselves from now until you're my age. So being disciplined to say no is is a very important thing with the entrepreneurial spirit. Again, but as far as like the culture of your business, because I love that word culture. And when I talk about culture and the identity of a brand, people have to understand how hard it is for a national brand to survive the infancy stage. You know, two years and most national brands go away that you never even hear of. To get them to the next stage of adolescence and nurturing them and getting them bigger and bigger to become a national iconic brand, it's the hardest thing to do in life pretty much to build a national brand. So when you hear the name census, is it, is it, did you have a reason for naming that? It was that was, there's one of my friends looked it up at the like the there's some actual meanings of of other languages of it and I'm like no I just thought it was the sickest word that that I that I could find I looked through the dictionary for for like a whole year before while well, I was trying to develop the grip and it was just and just coming up with a logo and, and at the end of the day it, it doesn't really matter what the word is or what the name of it is it just it you gotta you gotta promote something behind it and then that's the resemblance of the, of the actual company you know so it's kind of better that it doesn't really necessarily mean anything you know like like high-tech bike parts or something it's like like trying to forge census around you know with a blank slate and trying to create a culture around this this word and this brand and this logo that was you know f- no not identified with anything else other than if you put a c on it be the national census bureau for the other than that like you there's like it means it it means nothing except for this company, you know? Right. So the, the culture that can form out of that though, is what you're into. Now, as far as 
being a, a business owner now, there's a lot that goes into as far as the money coming into a company and keeping a company afloat and selling grips and being innovative and coming up with new product design and manufacturing costs. And how, how do I find my manufacturing? Do I stay stateside and try to put made in the USA on every one of my products? Do I go overseas to China and try to find a factory over there to build it? And now it's not made in America. You, there's a lot of things that you have to have that mindset of a champion to, uh, to the adversity that you face with the knee surgeries was probably God's way of saying, I'm going to get you ready for a bigger picture. There's something bigger out there that I'm going to get Cam Zink involved in after his racing career, after he double backflips and does whatever he's going to do at 32 years old. There's probably more to be done in a life with the average lifespan of a human being, of a male being right around 72, 73 years old average. There's a lot of life left to live. So maybe that adversity is what you were getting ready for to endure going into your real job. You know, Uh, what's your real job going to be? I agree. And I'd like to, I'd like to say that I live in dog years, you know, that I've lived a long, a lot more than 32 years and, uh, and taking advantage of every day and waking up. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, like I'd call my friends, like, like, let's go do something, let's go do something. And then they're all asleep until 11 or 10. And I'm like, feel like I'm missing out already. And it, and I'm just trying to take advantage of, of every day possible and, and run with it. And, uh, but as far as the adversity for, for the injuries, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was in, all of our grips are made in America and are trying to make every product that we make in America. But for this tailgate pad, it's, it's been impossible to find a vendor that would make it, you know, be able to a reasonable retail price. So, um, for the tailgate pad, they're made in Taiwan and I was meeting with someone over there. And he's, and he's asking me about, or we're talking about business and, and taking risks and, you know, it's all monetary at that point. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm like, you know what, it's, it's so much easier to just put a risk on this and not really stress about it because it's just, it's just money. Like, it's just like, if you make a bad decision and, and all the top CEOs will say, you have to, you have to make a quick decision, no matter if it's right or wrong, you're, you just have to have your percentage of rights more than you're wrong and just make a quick decision is better than no decision. And, uh, I'm like, you're not going to get hurt, dude. Like if, if, if this doesn't go through, you're not going to break your legs. It's uh, it's just, it's so much easier to take risks after being through the ultimate risks my whole life with riding. So with business, it's, it's just less stress and, and, and granted it can be stressful. There's like, especially being in a small company where you're wearing 10 different hats and you're, you have like 10 different job titles, you know, like, a, but isn't it awesome? It is. Isn't it, it, isn't the, it the coolest part. challenge though? Yeah. So, but if, if you can, it's obviously stressful, but if you can keep it level headed and kind of enjoy the grind and enjoy the hustle, then you're far better off than, than anyone else that's stressed out or, or, or can't cope with it. It's uh it's, I thrive off of, of the adversity and, and just finding a way. My my uncle was an entrepreneur too, and he helped give us our business loan for, uh, or you know, a big chunk of it for our last business. And he's like, kept it concise and just said, "You'll figure it out." He wasn't trying to give some you know long winded you know bit of advice. It was just like, "You'll figure it out." Like I trust you. Like that's all there's to it. Yeah, there's only certain things that business school and a business degree will teach you about yeah. being an entrepreneur. It, it, it there truly is. Like you mentioned the the, the quote. Um, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Well, go out and read a book called by Bo Peabody about creating your own luck. His name's Bo, B-O, Peabody. And I don't read a lot of business books. I always was again, like, yeah, go read The Millionaire Next yeah. Door and go read We Want to Make You a Millionaire. And I'm like, I can only get so much out of that because the, the spirit, you, you, you have to figure out what you're talking about. Can you 
network? Can you juggle? Can you wear all those different hats? Can you go in and meet with the bookkeeper? Can you go meet with your CFO? Can you go meet with the CEO? Can you go into a factory and talk about product design and innovation? Because when you're starting out and you don't have, let's say that you don't have $10 million to invest and hire all the employees to do that, you got to make all those decisions yourself. So it's hard to learn that in business school. Yeah, you can learn the finance part of it. You can learn yeah, there's, there's, there's a way to, to be a public speaker and there's a way to motivate and there's a way to have leadership skills and, and everything that business, business school brings. But to do what you're doing now, jumping in, I think what he told you is dead on. Roll with it. Yeah, just you're, figure you're, it out. You'll figure it out. It's, not that it's, it's not, go time, right? It's complicated, but it's not that complicated how you should address it. It's just, it's just figure it out. Like, figure it out. That's the, and that's the best part. Like I like said earlier about... Then if it's so easy, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but... There's a reason why 90% of Americans work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's Think easy, about it's, that. It's far easier for some, to take orders for sure. Everyone wants to be their own boss and they don't want someone to tell them what to do, but most people need someone telling them what to do. You know, like you can't, like it's, it's far harder to figure it out on your own and make a decision and stick with it with conviction than it is to just have someone tell you what to do. And you might not like it. You might not like your boss telling you what to do or how to live your life, but it's, it's far easier to be just a lemming, I guess, you know, or, you know, I don't want to be, you know, speak downly on any, but like, it's, uh, yeah, it's I'm not, I, I don't want to speak down to anybody either because I, everybody needs, there's a place in this society, community world for everybody, right? It, we, we, if we are business owners, we have to have people that we have employees that entrust in us. We entrust in them. We want to be good to them and they want to be good for the job. So our workforce in America is needed. We have to have it, but the mindset of an entrepreneur to go out and build a brand, I'm just trying to figure out if the the way you're wired, if it was inevitable for you to be your own boss, because when you're at the top of that jump, there's nobody else there. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're just, you're, you're, you're done. I mean, you can't stop. You're going off of that ramp. And as your own boss, as an entrepreneur, I'm just looking for that correlation of like, now you're not afraid to be your own boss. Now you're putting your family not in harm's way, but you're 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 taking another risk. Like and a lot of time. We're gonna have a, we got a lot of time away from the kids, away from the wife. I'm developing brands. I'm in meetings, and now can I make it lucrative enough to take home a paycheck to make some equ- to have my equity be worth something? Can I take a dividend check out or a bonus check at the end of the year to make all of this elbow grease and all this sweat equity worth it? it everybody sees from the outside looking into Cam's window or our window or whatever, like man, y'all are living the dream. It can be a dream. Trust yeah. me. It's awesome. But it's a mother effort if you're not careful and you don't work your ass off every day. I know it's easy to say, yeah, I'm a business owner, but it's, and you can figure it out, but there's, there's only a certain amount of them that survive. And I'm just wondering like the way you're wired at the top of that ramp before you go off that jump, that's the wiring that an entrepreneur needs. Like make the decision, be respectful of it, but don't sit there and dwell on it. And that's what I was trying to tell my guys yesterday. I'm trying to come up with this new name for a freaking duck call, a duck call. I'm on, I'm on three-way call last night in Arkansas in Texas with two dudes going, here's my name. And they're like, dude, that's the worst name I've ever heard. And then I'm like, did, do you know what it means? And then I'm sitting there going, just make a decision. Let's just make it up. Let's no matter what we name this call, we're going to look back on this two hour conversation and go, that was a lot of waste of time. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to name it that. And they, and they roadblocked me, right? They literally roadblocked me. And I'm like, we should have just named it that because now we're talking about these other names that are just as goofy. Yeah. What, you see what I'm saying? It's like, just go with it. It's, it's it, that mindset, that entrepreneurial spirit of America is so awesome to have. And I, I'm trying to make a correlation between being at the top of that ramp 
and being that CEO and wearing that hat as the head of a company in the face of a brand, it's almost the same thing. It's fearful. It's risky. I think, it, I think it's, it's just the being, you got to be okay with the risk. You know, you have to, you have to live with, live in the grind and you have to live in like, understand that there, there are consequences, but you can't let it inhibit you. You know, you have to, again, same thing with fear. It's same thing with business that if, if you're worrying about the worst outcome, then you're less likely to have the best outcome. Like you're going to, it's going to only draw you closer toward, toward the fearful act because you're not focused on how to make it better, you know, focus on the, on the problem and how to make a solution for it. Not, not focusing on the problem and what could result from that. You have to, you have to, like, so you're talking about business right now, but before 20 minutes ago, how did you say it? The same, you said same you got to let go of all of the other things in your mind. You're like going off the jump and understand. Yeah. Understand the consequences of getting hurt or understand it. You could, you could lose this $20,000 budget, this marketing that you just put in, it could go to nothing. Like you could get no sales from it, but you have to do it. Like, you got to let go of all of that thought process and go with the one that's in your mind of, I got this. Absolutely. It's going to work. And some of them are going to fail. You are going to wreck on a bike yeah. and you are going to make a bad decision in the boardroom. Yeah. And Period. You, yeah. And you, like you said, like, you know, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate of everyone drops to zero, like for fight club, like with bike riding and like, you're saying that I got, yeah, I will crash again. Like there's no doubt that I'll crash again. And there's no doubt I'll probably get hurt again, but it just putting yourself in the best position possible and trying to make the, the best percentage of, of victory you can and doing all your due diligence, business, life, kids, you know, and, and, and writing and all of it. It's just putting your best foot forward and, and utilizing all your assets at hand and, and utilizing all your resources that you, that you have at your fingertips. And then at some point you have to let go and just go for it. I'm, I'm starting to think now, listen, you talk about, you know, you turned a hobby, literally a hobby of riding mm -hmm. a bike into a monstrous career and a competitive career and a lucrative career. What, what else is there in your life? Like, is it the business it, to me? It seems like that business is that next step of being like, man, every day I wake up, I get to go achieve something. I get to create, I get to, I get to negotiate. I love that word negotiate mm -hmm. me and you were like negotiating across this table right now of, in this conversation of, you know, what can we, what can we talk about? That's going to be hit hard, hit home, make somebody go, man, I want to, I want to hear that. That's what I needed in life to hear that. That's what, that's what I Life like. Life is a negotiation. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, contributing to society always comes up in my brain of like, what am I doing to help the help society? And it's, and it's maybe it's just me trying to find something out of nothing, but I feel like inspiring people is probably the best thing that I can contribute. You know, I've, I've had numerous kids and, and even kids, parents, or even, even adults saying that like I inspired them to do something. And that's, that's, that really hits home that I'm actually, you know, it's not just a selfish act and, and there's no, there's no, you know, good resonance with other people from it. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool to hear when someone, it, it actually like helped inspire them to do whatever they wanted to do. You know, I had one of my friends who was, who was a little bit down on his luck. He's like, you know, I need to cam zinc myself. And I'm like, dude, I hope that there's other people that say that too. Cause that's also awesome. Cause if, if I were to read a story about this dude going through all these knee surgeries and then you know, put it all on the line and, and, and crashing and then getting up and doing it again. And then, you know, it's like a, it's like a movie, dude. It's like, like I've lived the story of a movie a few times and the, the winning touchdown with no, no time on the clock, you know, I've like, I've, I've lived that in uh, with, with the highest of consequences and to, to have someone recognize it and, uh, and say that that's, that's how that they need to pull themselves out of the rut. Like that's, 
dude, that's, that's an honor. It's like humbling to, to hear that. And I, and I, and I hope that I keep bringing that to anyone. Like one, one more kid that gets inspired by what I do. It's all, it's all worth it. That's killer. So what do you do, Cam? Like you're a business owner now, you're still competing, but what do you and the family do for hobby now? Because you've taken the hobby out of bike riding. You personally like probably can't just get on a mountain bike and, and lollygag around the, the, the RV park with the old lady. Nope, you got to nope. probably be going 90 down a hill. So is it boating? Is it wakeboarding? You talked about Alex Holding. You mentioned Alex Holding. He just, he just, what do you call it when you climb a mountain with, he just... Free solo, yeah. Free solo L cap in Yosemite, which you're saying is you said that that motocross is the most crazy extreme sport. That doesn't top it what he just did. <laughs> like that's crazy is 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 you've ever heard of, right? It is, man. And it, and I again that's what I really like about mountain biking, that it's in order to, to ride by myself, it depends on where you are. Like if there's jumps there and I'm like sandbagging it and I'm like, and I'm not living up to my potential, then, then I'm going to be upset. But if I'm out with the kids, like that's what I'm supposed to be doing and riding with the kids is great and riding some trail and, and going out just for fun, enjoying the views can be fun. But if there's an opportunity there and there is something that I think is possible and that I'm capable of, then I'm upset you know like i'm not happy that that i'm not taking advantage of the situation and and i think that's where why i am where i am uh, especially in a sport that didn't really exist looking looking into other sports like freestyle motocross and snowboarding and and all these other influences because it didn't exist and we were helped trying to cultivate it and make it whatever we wanted it to be so it's privilege to be in that position because no one else will be able to be in that position again with this sport like other sports for sure and, and new things that haven't been really developed yet but for mountain biking no no other none of the kids coming up are going to be able to experience that so I'm really fortunate to be, be there at the beginning and help have to you know be able to leave my mark on the sport and be able to kind of shape it with my wildest dreams and uh and it's always been living up to my potential like in and I heard Sean White say that too you're not trying to compete against anyone else because then you're just going to be stuck in in a, an endless battle for one point or you know who's going to be first who's going to be second this week and that but if you're competing with what is actually possible on a bicycle or a snowboard then you put yourself in a whole nother level of, of of a world of possibilities like what it may not even be try to win the contest like what i'm trying to do now like it's I think that it's possible and I think that I can do it and I have the tools in the toolbox. Give me, give me two other examples of what you're talking about besides 150 foot jump with a backflip. Because to me, that's the most extreme freaking thing that's ever going to be done on a bike. Give me two more examples of what you can see Cam Zinc accomplishing on a bike. Not business, not family, not anything except, is there anything left to do on a mountain bike that you haven't done that you want to do besides that 150 foot jump? I'd like to do an even bigger 360 with the right setup and build it specifically for it, not trying to find something in the middle of Utah and see if it lines up and, and dig it and build it. I'd like to do, I think you could spin a 40, 50 foot drop or, you know, on a, on a bicycle and land it. Um, that's one that I've wanted to do. And that could, I could start working on that this year maybe, but, um, it's, it's lately, it's been more of like the steepest lines that we can find, like in, which is, in 2016 rampage or 2017 yeah 2017 we rode this line that was you know they promoted as like the steepest line in rampage history so that was something that they could they could put a label on and promote it and it and it resonated with people but most time when we do it it's it doesn't get as much attention as the drops or the flips or the or the 
or the, you know, the heirs. But those are the scariest, like the scary, like, cause if something goes wrong, you're, there's, it's like, it's either really easy you make it look easy or it's like game over. Smoked. There, you know, vertical, vertical ski lines on dirt with rocks and then it falls into a canyon. Like you, you could tomahawk down, you know. And you're going to do this? Well, we already do it. Like that's, that's what we I do. I know you but, do, but, but, there, but there's again? no like definitive label. So like that's, that's where we've been pushing it, but it's not necessarily like, it's harder to quantify it, I guess, you know, but it's like, that's. Uh, finding steeper, bigger, you know, is always on the mind because I just want to progress. So you you have the the jump coming up at 150 foot with a backflip. Now you're talking about you know doing the things that you're already out there doing with these big crevices and the steepest jump and how to quantify that. And it's almost like it's never ending. The sky is never ending on what you want to accomplish on a bike, and it's almost going to take self-discipline for you to go, I got to stop. I, I, you talked about your dad with his, with his hips and you know, you, as age starts to creep in, when you start to get maybe a little bit closer to 40, I'm not saying by any means, but with what Alex holding just did and, and free, you know, free climb and L cap, what's next for him? Is it, or is cam zinc going to get, what about these flight suits? Or would you ever get in one of these, these wing suits that these guys are getting in and go through these little keyholes in these rocks? Is your, is your level of no fear that high? Because to me, that's like suicide, right? That just looks like suicide to me. I, it, it is kind of, it's, it's not, it's not really something to be, bummed about or, or live like you've, you've got some disease that's just never going to heal itself, but it kind of is, man. It's like, it's not like you're never happy. You are, that's what makes you happy, but it's a, it's an endless progression and an endless goal and an endless, uh, because you've like, it'd be, it'd be like being extremely wealthy and then being poor. Like you knew what you had and you knew how great life was and or whether, you know, money, this shouldn't make people happy. It's just a poor example, but it's like, living a life like I have and literally every dream that I had as a kid is came true. Like I've, I've worked for, for X, Y, and Z and I've gotten, I've gotten the whole alphabet, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to, to slow down, I guess. I mean, and, and, but, but again, like maybe, maybe I'll do some base jump and stuff. I won't, I won't do wingsuit because Pastrana said he won't even wingsuit because everyone that he knows dies. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, literally it's like, and that one is, is, is the most plaguing because everyone you get, you keep progressing until you die. Like literally like the, the best of the best, um, besides what's his name, Jeb Corliss. I think he's, he's the one that he was suicidal and then that's why he didn't really care but he's done the gnarliest of the keyhole, you know, wingsuiting, but he's, he's miraculously still alive. Crazy. Um, but there's been so many that have came and gone. So I'm fortunate not being a sport like that to where like you just keep getting better until you die. But is that really a sport? <laughs> it's just like, dude, I just look at that. Like what is, what's knock it off, dude, going through down ski runs below the trees in the Alps and stuff. It's crazy. Like, like they're, they're, 40 feet within 40 feet off the ground the whole time for a couple thousand foot descent. It's crazy. 120 mile an hour, or 160 mile an hour, whatever it is. Um, what are those guys built like physically? Are they your size or are they, do you, are, are they, I think they come in all shapes and sizes, honestly. Well, I mean, they're all gotta be pretty light, I guess, or, you know, body mass, but they're, uh, I think they, I'm pretty sure they come in all shapes and sizes, Really? but do you can imagine like you coming up to a cliff and you flinch and you like, 
move your hand a little bit and then you dive bomb like you can't you have to keep perfect form no matter what i just i just don't i mean that's got to be the scariest thing in life to the the speeds they're going and to see what's coming at you and try to hit that keyhole perfectly i mean you hit that thing head on you have no chance of survival Mm -mm. you have no chance I, i don't think there's many are there many wingsuit jumpers out there there, there's a fair bit, man. And, is it uh, really? Is it a competition now? Not really, no. But they're 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 sponsored. Like there's a bunch of Red Bull athletes, you know. And there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of professionals, and that mix it with uh, like like um, Shane McConkie. He 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 died uh, in a um, a belie- I can't remember if it's a wingsuit. I think it was. Who's he? Oh no, it was a ski one. He he died. He was he was ski ski wingsuit base jumping. And then ski he, wings, he, he pioneered the full James Bond skiing down a big line and then ascent it off of a couple thousand foot cliff and then dropping skis and wingsuiting off into the, like a, like a superhero. Um, but then, uh, <laughs> and he died doing that. He died because they, they have to, they used old bindings that released upwards. So they bought all these ones at garage sales and stuff. And then they would, so they had strings that pulled the bindings up, normal bindings on skis. You have to push them down to release, right? So that. They have uh, these old school bindings that are from the eighties or whatever. And they had, you know, leashes attached to them or they could pull them up and release them. And one of his didn't release and he went into a spiral. And then, cause if you open your chute and then your ski falls off, then you're dead too. But he tried to get a ski off and then pulled the chute too late. And then, uh, and then, and then passed away. But it's f- funny enough that, that, uh, that his movie, his documentary came out when my wife was pregnant with our first, first daughter, our first kid, um, and we were watching the premiere up at Squaw where he was from and his daughter, his name was Ayla in it. And we couldn't find a name. So then we named our daughter after, after his daughter, Ayla. And it's a pretty unique name. You know, I guess he got it from Clan of the Cavemen, the, this old book. She's just like a, a badass chick. But um, yeah, I don't know. Crazy. Going it's off a, on a little bit of a tangent. No, it's, but, it, yeah. but it is. It's like you have that, that, whole, that whole mindset of these athletes. It's like, where is the limit? There's, there's no limit. Like whoever thought that you know bull riding would advance to where it is now to where now they have to wear helmets and face masks and these these bulls are 2000 pounds jumping 48 inches in the air and they're the, they're like insane athletes the bulls are and then you got these guys that are staying on top of them for 8 seconds and Jesse Lockwood who won the world championships in the PBR 2 years ago is like he's got he can't weigh but 140 pounds mm-hmm. and they're on top of 2000 it's just it's just like where where does bull riding go next where does skiing go next what is david wise going to do next what is cam zink going to do next it's never ending so i wanted to know like you're, you're obviously you, you and pastrana have already made the decision we're not getting in a wingsuit but where are you going to get your fear factor next? Where are you going to get your adrenaline rush next? Because obviously you're an adrenaline junkie and these, these guys that are wired like you, I don't know if you're going to be able to find it in the boardroom. You might have to go outside of your business sense and your entrepreneurial spirit to be like, okay, I know you like guns. I know you shoot. I know that you've killed deer. I know that you love to duck hunt. So maybe can you just settle down a little bit, Zinc, and just let's go on a duck hunt? And I'd or love do, to. or do we have to do we have to like hold our breath underwater like a ninja for nine minutes and wait until all the ducks land and just see how extreme we can make it? Is there ever just a sense of hey, let's just enjoy life the way it's intended to be and not push the freaking envelope every day? Can you do it? Can we go duck hunting and just relax? Absolutely. Are I'd you, love think, to. you think we can? I'm pr- pretty pretty good at drinking beer, and, and there's a <laughs> lot. That's a song about that. There, there's a lot of sports, including duck hunting and. Going golf and you know that you can you can drink beer and hang out and then uh at, at those points then you're like all right i'm not doing anything crazy because i've you know we're just drinking beer and we're just hanging out there's a that 
I, I, again, I just try to maximize every day and, and I like surfing. I like snowboarding. I like, and it, and I don't necessarily like nowadays I wanted to be a pro snowboarder when I was a kid, like Palm, you know, and maybe do both. But nowadays when I snowboard, I don't necessarily push it. I mean, I drop some cliffs here and there, but like, I'm not pushing it, but I still really enjoy it because just the freedom of, of riding powder and, and snowboarding is, is unlike anything else in the world. I mean, even, even surfing, like if I was better at surfing, I think I would probably still enjoy riding powder more than, than, than getting barreled. But there's a, there's a few sports like that, that are, I'm completely content with being an amateur and not necessarily pushing the lips or putting, you know, it's a little risk, but there's so much joy that comes from it and it does, it's not contingent on the risk and, you know, and mountain biking isn't really either. I just, I, that just comes down with living up to my potential and maximize. I don't want to look back and think I ever sandbag myself. I, I look back on, on a couple of the years that I did really well that I'm like, fuck, I could have done better, you know? So there, I don't ever want to ha- live with that, that, that I didn't take every opportunity that I had and, and, you know, because of some risk or because I was scared of something. But at the same time, I love riding a bike, even if it's just, even if there's very, very minimal risk and it's just flowing a trail, like it's, it's, it's an indescribable feeling. And that's why the general public's into it, you know, and, and everyone has a, has a certain feeling that maybe, you know, I guess the, the GoPro sales or everyone that bought it and then they'd put a video out of themselves. Like they're like, I remember it being faster and, and better and steeper. So everyone, it doesn't matter what it looks like necessarily or, or compared to anyone else with well, a feeling that you get is like indescribable. And that's all that matters. You that's know? all that matters. So, so, but you're chasing a high, you're chasing a natural high. That's what you're really chasing, right? Yeah. Is that is like it, the further I stretch this, the further I try to achieve, I'm really just still chasing that high. The high might be a little bit higher now. Mm-hmm. I don't need dope. I don't need drugs. I'm chasing like a high that like you can't find anywhere. I thought I found it when mallards are descending on my decoys through flooded timber, like that picture you see right there in Arkansas. To me, when I'm standing up against that tree, I feel like that's the most natural, highest I could ever get in life. And now you're sitting here telling me that you're going to go 150 feet through the air on a bike and do a backflip. And I'm like, man, I ain't really doing shit. But those ducks right there literally light my world up to where I could, I could, I could document that for a 10 hour documentary and have goosebumps the whole time talking about it of what that makes me feel like. Not just that part, the dog and the friends and the camaraderie and the campfire and the coffee pot and the meals and every single thing from the boat ride to the truck ride to the UTV ride that goes into hunting and the hunting lifestyle. And look what it brought me with you. I'm sitting here across the table because of duck hunting and the the life it's brought me, I get to meet guys like you that share the same passion for ducks and hunting and shooting and the outdoor lifestyle and second amendment rights. And we're sitting here talking about flying freaking 150 feet through the air, doing a backflip. And I'm sitting here going, man, I haven't accomplished shit in life when really I have. And that's why I'm sitting here going, what else can I do? What other question can I ask Cameron? I want to do this again. I want, we have to go right now because I've got, we got some sushi waiting on us. Your life is freaking badass, dude. And if you'll allow, I would like to do this. When the snow clears and the shoulder heals, I would love to do a podcast again and have you back on This Life Ain't For Everybody to talk about the training and what the mental outlook on this jump is. If you can, I don't even know if you can sit down and talk about it when you're in that training mode, but I'd like to do a pre podcast and a post podcast after you accomplish this Guinness book of world records world record of 150 feet through the air with a backflip that will accomplish two records one 
ramp to ramp or ramp to dirt, just flying straight through the air. And now you're going to add in a backflip, which has never been done. You hold the current world record at 100 feet, three inches. You were going to go 47 feet, nine inches longer to break your own world record. And I'd like to do a podcast before and after and just talk about what it takes to get there, man, because that's a badass thing. It's, 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 it, you're, you're taking what we've done since we were kids with training wheels and that feeling we got when our dad took those training wheels off and you're like, holy shit, I am. The, I've had people tell me, man, well, I knew where all my buddies were when I saw all the bikes laid out there. We knew what it meant to be in the bike club. You're still in the bike club, dude. And you're kicking ass. And so can we do that? Can we do two more going into it and following it? Absolutely. I'm super down. I don't, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be being close to home. So it's uh, it's all good. I'd, I'd love to. And it's, and it's, and it's, super cool to have stuff like this documented for the kids, you know, and, and like the, I mean, showing my daughter that she's been on TV and she didn't even realize it and show, like showing like it all when I'm, when I'm, when the kids are older and I'm, and I'm like, who knows, who knows what I'll be doing, but at least I'll be able to show them, like show them a little bit of a history of what, you know, what dad did and, and hopefully make them proud. So I'm, I'm down to document everything possible. Let's do it. Let's, I want to, I want to bring the camera crew out. I want to film some of it. We're already talked with Wise and Scotty. Scotty's been on the foul life a few times. I want to do a duck hunt at a badass location when you guys aren't in training or at a competition. I, I want to do something where you and David Wise and Scotty Lego, we go out and then we wrap it around this story of being up on at the half pipe when he drops in and being up on the mountain in the jump when you drop in and what Lego has done with his brand. Think of what he's done. He's won a, he's won a bronze in the, in the Olympics. He's won silver in the X Games. He's got his own snowboard company now. He's taken it to a different level, that entrepreneurial spirit. And he's just so down to earth and fun to be around and happy goal. He sent me a video yesterday of him out coyote hunting. And I'm like, dude, you're never going to call in a coyote with as much as you move and the sounds you make. And you probably smell like beer right now but anyway i just i I love the lifestyle and the correlation that we have this this common bond of the outdoors and hunting and fishing and shooting and guns and it's brought so much enjoyment to my life and now we get to go out hunt go live a day in the life of your in your shoes and see that everybody is living these different paths in life they have these different paths and we can all come together and be like Man, we got a lot of mutual respect for each other and what we've done. I guarantee you would love to be in those trees in Arkansas 100%. with those ducks on you. And I would love to have the freaking balls to jump 150 feet in the air. And I ain't going to do it. No, that was bad English, bad grammar. I'm not going to do it. This life ain't for everybody. Everybody's like, why can't you just have better grammar? And I'm like, uh, it just sounds better. But hey, let's do it again, dude. Kudos to you. I'm going to call your wife sometime and just say, hey, look, I feel for you. If there's anything that I can do to ease this freaking stress when he does this 150 foot jump. But I want to be there for it. I want to be a part of it. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Any closing sentiments, any closing words that you want to end this with? I think we covered it, man. It's, it's, uh, it did hear a good quote the other day that it's the easiest thing to do is elaborate. So I wish that it had a more concise, you know, you know, light beaming quote, but, um, yeah, just take advantage of every day, yeah. you know, live up to your potential and, and, uh, and don't try to fit into a mold that anyone else has and, or society is trying to engineer for everyone. Just try to do your own thing and, and do it with conviction. Be happy. Conviction. I love that word. And be respectful, man. Absolutely. Skate, skateboarding is not a crime, but that doesn't mean that you go jump on a board and go mess up some lady's handrails that she just painted. And that's the problem that happens is that we always get this mindset that we can do whatever we want and we got to stay disciplined. It's, we got to respect other people's property and their other people's beliefs. And that's what this life ain't for everybody is, is that we're not all cut from the same cloth, but I love talking to you about what you do because it gets me fired up to go accomplish more. 
You're, you're, you've accomplished it all and you're still wanting more. I want more. Tom, just take this away from us. Play Leith Loft in this life. Or I'm sorry, what you going to do when the money's all gone? You guys, please check out the Bone Collector website and the North American Whitetail Championship website. I want you guys to get involved in this $300 for an opportunity to qualify and win $50,000, 14 places in America and Canada, 14 different regions that you can become part of the 2019 North American World Whitetail Championships brought to you by Bone Collector. And I'm telling you guys, it's a no-brainer. Check them out. Get involved. For my guest, Mr. Cam Zink, you are the man, brother. I can't wait to do this again. Let's go grab some sushi. Tom, Leith Lofton, what you going to do when the money's all gone? I'm Chad Belling. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?